Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing for us. Lord, you seem to be concentrating a lot on um, the bride and the man-child's coming, manifestation, choosing, whatever. Um, So we're just obeying you, Lord, in the revelations that you're sending us and giving to us. And we thank you for blessing them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is... Am I your everything? And this was given to Debbie Vinsky. And she said, In our Monday night fellowship gathering, our praise and worship time was wonderful. We sang several songs to Jesus. Our spirits were united as one in one accord giving praise, honor, and glory to God, just as Michael had prayed. As we sang the Revelation song, I know that we all could feel our praise and worship going up to the Lord from our hearts. It was high praise and high worship, and it seemed that we were truly touching God's heart. Yet I felt something else, too, in my spirit, from the Lord. So in the midst of that high worship to Jesus, something else was on his heart. And I felt this was from him the first time when we sang the words, You are my everything, and I will adore you. Well, this is true. Is he our everything? You know, is he the most important thing to us? I remember um, coming into the kingdom with um, other people at the same time. And um, I was so driven to find out about the Lord that I studied the Word day and night. It was like an anointing fell upon me just to study day and night. There's this strong um, desire for truth which, of course, doesn't come natural <laughs> to the natural man. I had this, and uh, all everything that I thought was important to me before this time just started falling by the wayside. Um, and that was because of this desire to know the truth. When I read the Word, I was uh, convinced it was the Word of God. And that nothing could be more important than this. So all of my hobbies, which included, yep, smoking dope and other things. And um, I I built a a school bus into a camper. And I had a race car that I was keeping up. And um, I had a gun collection because I I, uh, worked on guns and made guns. My dad was a gunsmith 
and I, he taught me how to do that. And I, I had, you know, uh, welders and, and cutting torches, and I was a fabricator. I was a machinist. I, I built uh, motorcycles, and I built front ends, Springer, my own Springer front ends for choppers and stuff like that. I fabricated trailers and all. I just had all kinds of hobbies. They kept me busy, really. And, uh, but lo and behold, when I started reading the Bible diligently, this stuff had no importance. I had a beautiful, brand new Z1 motorcycle, the fastest thing on uh, two wheels at that time that, that was uh, mass produced. I had to leave my area to go find one and buy it and bring it back, and I immediately started making a chopper out of it. Made my own Springer front end for it and everything. And uh, I made it into a hardtail and, and so on and so forth. I was, And I had a mural tank and a mural fender, and everything was just uh, beautiful. And uh, I was almost finished with it when I couldn't touch it anymore. Totally lost interest in it. And I sold it. It was uh, very important to me at the time. And all my other things, I, I sold my um, race car. I uh, sold my trailers. I sold my camper. I, you know, everything. My gun collection, I sold it all. Cheap, any way I could do to get rid of it. Got rid of my TV set. <laughs> yeah. And it was fairly new. Got rid of it. Didn't have time for any of this stuff because there was only one thing important. And, uh, of course, God put that in me because that wasn't me naturally. I was caught up in all these things, all these worldly things, you know. And I drank and I smoked and I did all these worldly things, you know. But suddenly uh, nobody knew me. <laughs> Because uh, I was being changed by the word that I was in day and night, day and night, day and night. And uh, I noticed the people around me who came into the kingdom the same time as me, uh, most of them fell away. These are people that I knew I'm talking about. Most of them fell away from the Lord. Or else they're still sitting in a dead church somewhere. Never grew up enough to come out from among them and be separate. And I noticed the uh, the advantage of loving truth, loving Jesus, loving the Word. Ask God for this gift. It was a gift to me. It was totally contrary to me. I had prophets come and prophesy glorious things to me. <clears throat> And yet I was a guy that skipped out of most of high school. I would be found in a bar room or playing pool or doing something like that. I was just a playboy. I had no interest in being studious. It was so contrary to me. <laughs> and so suddenly this, this um, mantle that had fallen upon me, you know, which I called it a gift, 
And even when it, it started to lift, I, I knew how important it was. I prayed to God, give this back, you know, and he did. He just wanted to know that I wanted it, right? You ask God for this gift because most of the stuff that many of you are doing out there is a distraction from the only thing that is important. The only thing that is important. God's people must repent and turn to God. We're saying we're running out of time. We can see that. Revelation, the talk, the clock with the numbers sliding off of it like they're wet ink, you know, uh, on the wall, which means sanctification. Running out of time to be sanctified. Are you are everything? Jesus asks. Is he our hobby? <laughs> uh, you know what? Seeking first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Why? Because they're not idols. Because you're seeking God first. These other things taking your time away are idols. They're distracting you from the only thing that's important and the only thing that is eternal. You are going to manifest what is your eternal life forever when you leave this place. And uh, as we've talked before, I can't go through all of that today, but there are various uh, levels of the Lord, 30, 60, and 100, right? Uh, and different glories manifested uh, in this body, Um 30, 60, and 100. And um, gold and silver and precious stones and all the wood, hay, and stubble burnt up. All this other stuff's going to burn up. Everything you're, every, all these physical things around us are going to burn up. They don't have any eternal value. The eternal value is in the kingdom and the kingdom being in you and in it's whatever stage you leave this place, 30, 60, or 100 fold. Some of them came into the kingdom and they don't even have 30 anymore. I have to tell you, because it wasn't important to them. They just uh, go to church for fire insurance, right? So, we have to repent. And the Lord is saying we have run out of time. He has to be our everything now. We don't need to be distracted with the world and the worldly things. Something the Lord was saying to me um, in the last few days is even fellowship can be a worldly thing because it's not all centered around the Lord. It's it's all kinds of talk about this and that and the other. Um, and all of these in many cases, are just worldly things. Even fellowship can be a distraction. And I believe the Lord is saying to me that everybody should examine their fellowship. And is it just around worldly things, or is it around Jesus, or is it necessary? Because one thing the Lord was saying to me, that He wanted more fellowship with us personally. 
He wants more fellowship with us personally. We don't want to be distracted by these things that have no fruit in the kingdom of heaven and only keep us from being uh, having good fellowship with the Lord. So, I say today, uh, we are running out of time to be sanctified or uh, for whatever level we've been called to, whether it's the man-child, the bride, or even the church itself. Church is the called-out ones, right? Ecclesia, the called-out ones. We're called to come out from among the world. Therefore, if you come into the kingdom and you only understand this church that you're in right now, you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to outgrow those playpens. And you should do it fairly quickly. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, I'm not talking badly about um, uh, fellowshipping with scriptural people. I mean, but your revelation of what scriptural people is should grow. And then you should grow with it. And if you're in one of those playpens to keep you out of trouble, uh, you need to outgrow that thing and climb over the bars and get out. And go and get around people who are scriptural. They have a... the. The apostates have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You need to be around people who believe in power. You need to be around people who have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. Because they will encourage you to walk as He walked. Every, let everyone that says they abide in Him to walk as He walked. Think about it. You're looking at the example when you read the Bible, of Jesus. And then you're looking at the example of those disciples who walked in his steps and did the same thing and said the same thing as Jesus. That's our example. This is what we're being called to. And the more you enter into the kingdom, the less you will be in the world and the less you will need of the world because the Lord says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And He means that. You put Him first, He will put you first. So, continuing with the revelation given to Debbie, I asked him, Jesus, what is on your heart? And he asked me, am I your everything? Hmm, there it is. I thought this question was only for me, but as he repeated that question two more times, and as we continued singing that song to him, I felt it rising up in me. And when he repeated it a third time, I knew it was for others in our midst besides me because I felt his words welling up in me. Well, okay, God is speaking to us. You know, am I your everything? Is he the most important thing in your life? Or are you distracted with a lot of other things? 
Whatever God guides you to do, obviously you can do with all your might, and He will bless it, you know. Um, but, you know, since coming into the ministry when God ordained me, and He appeared to me, and He ordained me, and He ordained me through an apostle, uh, since coming into the kingdom, um, I have uh, noticed that besides continuing to grow myself in in whatever gifts the Lord has given unto me, um, I'm able to share it with others. If I stopped somewhere along the line and got short-circuited like a lot of people do who go to Bible college and think they got it all and that this is it, but they were only trained by people that didn't have it all and didn't know uh, the power of the Spirit of God, we have to be led by the Spirit of God. And uh, so when God leads us, uh, the more he leads us into the kingdom, the less we will be in the world. And uh, the less we will need the world. When, when Moses, before he was qualified, um, left Egypt, and left Egypt under persecution and the, the fear of persecution, uh, and went into the wilderness, and um, he met God in the mountain of God, so to speak. And uh, after going through his wilderness, he was prepared to go back and bring others through the wilderness to the mountain of God, right? Which talks about the kingdom of God. So the burning bush situation, you know, uh, started him, uh, his ordination to go back and uh, bring God's people out through the wilderness. We know that the wilderness is a place of less of the world. And, uh, and so what was happening was they were getting more and more of God and less of the world. They couldn't pack it with them, right? They were traveling through a wilderness to get to their promised land. And we're, we, too, are going to our promised land to live on the promise, promises of God. Every place we put the sole of our foot, God will give it to us, right? So we've got to go through our wilderness. And a wilderness is a place of less of the world, less of the provision of the world, less of the appeal of the world, and more of God. Because they got manna out of heaven. They didn't work for that manna out of heaven. They got water out of a rock. They didn't have to work for that. They had tents, which were portable tabernacles. They wanted to move with the Spirit of God. So they did. You know, and God, by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire would guide them and protect them from their enemies and so on and so forth. And they were to continue moving. I'm not talking necessarily physically, you know. I'm talking spiritually through a wilderness, which is a lack of your own ability to make 
a living or your own ability to uh, provide for yourself or your own ability to save yourself, all of these things were negated in the wilderness. It was a place of weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So, we need to learn to give up the ways of men. We've all inherited that. We all know how to take care of ourselves, provide for ourselves, heal ourselves, all these things. We think. We think. And enter into what would be called sons of God. A place where God's provision is always there. He will provide your every need according to his riches and glory. Right? God's uh, provision is there. And to the extent you give up your own ways and provision and uh, you feel uh, a necessity to save yourself, heal yourself, deliver yourself, all these things, you know. When you uh, turn this over to God, you find that He can supernaturally handle it. And uh, you don't miss those old things that you walked away from in Egypt, right? They all walked away, you know, from their houses in Egypt and everything that they had. And again, they couldn't pack it all on their back. And uh, it would have been a great burden. But they found provision in the wilderness that God prepared for them before they got there. Now, we know the woman in the book of Revelation that was led into the wilderness, actually being chased by the dragon, too. Uh, she found a place prepared in the wilderness for her. That's right. Amen. So, God uh, wants us to become sons of God. and not sons of men. We've already been sons of men. We inherited that through Adam. But we inherited quite a different inheritance through Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And uh, he walked supernaturally. He had the power of God with him. He didn't get anywhere. He didn't have provision. Right? God provided, even to the extent of Multiplying the fishes and the loaves, God provided. So here we are entering into the wilderness again. It's called the tribulation according to uh, Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 17. The first three and a half years in 12 and the last in 17. We enter into a wilderness called the tribulation. Now, most of the church don't want to go there, <laughs> so they make up a convenient doctrine. We'll fly away before that happens. But no, God wants, uh, he doesn't want just sons of men. He wants sons of God to walk as he walked, to walk the life of faith. The righteous shall live from faith, and if he shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He does not desire the people who walk in the way of the world and are uh, constricted by the methods and the ways of the world. We just had a wonderful demonstration of this. 
in all these churches where the preachers told uh, their people to go and get vaccinated, um, trusting in the arm of the flesh, which is a curse according to the Bible. I got to tell you, in just the last uh, week, whenever I crossed the town at night, and and I, we live next to a very small town. It's a podunk town, I got to tell you. Okay, it's a two-horse town. Not a big town. But every time I've crossed the town at night, I see these emergency vehicles flashing and ambulances flashing and sometimes fire engines flashing outside somebody's house. Yeah. Somebody died. And um, even when the family you know, um, uh, took Leon. Now, now Leon, we didn't know anything about Leon except that when we tried to contact him one day and uh, he, uh, we finally, you know, got the police to help us to get the door open and we got in there and Leon just had gone to sleep. <laughs> he had gone, <laughs> gone off to be with the Lord, you know. And, uh, he, we didn't know of anything wrong with him, you know, but uh, he had just gone on off to be with the Lord. Well, his brother said uh, he took him to be cremated. Of course, they hauled him off, but they took him to be cremated, and they put that off for a week. And then, you know what they were saying? He has to get in line. What? In this little podunk town? <laughs> he has to get in line. So many people are dying out there from this plague that they called a vaccine. And even the uh, Supreme Court said it is not a vaccine and it is dangerous. Okay. So the preachers that told them to go and do this, they're guilty of the blood of the saints except they're not too saintly. <laughs> okay? It's astounding. It's amazing what is happening. People are dying very quickly. Very quickly. And um, even on the street that leads to the road that goes up to our house on top of the mountain, um, yeah, We've seen uh, the ambulances and everything at two different houses. You know what? I can't remember when there's been anything like this ever. And they're trying to play it down because I talked to one of the officers, you know, that helped us get in to where Leon was. And I'm I'm just happy for Leon. I know he was a good man and an awesome man, and uh, he's went to be with Jesus. Praise be to God. Beat me there, doggone it. And <laughs> but I talked to one of the officers. I said, "Have you been noticing a lot of dead people lately?" Uh, no, nothing unusual. I said. I thought to myself, and uh, Michael was there too. He's lying. Yeah. They want to play it all down for some reason. I don't know why. I guess they want 
don't want the Chamber of Commerce to come down on them because we're running people off from this area. It looks bad. But it's happening everywhere. So, whatever. You know. I tell you, these if these same people had sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, uh, they may have been alive today because they would have never trusted these people. Since a very young age, I learned that since the Bible says very plainly that we've already been healed by whose stripes you were healed, and I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth me, that that is what the Lord wants us to believe. In Psalm 103, who forgiveth all thine iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. In Mark eleven twenty four, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them and you shall have them. What is it about obeying the Lord's word that is getting people killed? What is it about trusting in preachers who don't believe the word of God that is getting people killed? Yeah, that's the problem. And if these same people had found in the very beginning of their Christian walk not to trust in men but to read the Word of God. I guess I had a a, a good upbringing in a way. I was raised up in the Catholic Church even though I never was really impressed with it. Um, but I was raised up in it and I saw, you know, all the phony baloney that was going on and um, nothing real, you know, substantial. Um, So I could see that I really wasn't interested in religion. And uh, what I didn't know is that a lot of the Protestants, I mean, at a young age, I didn't know that all a lot of the Protestant churches and groups out there were just daughters of the same harlot. So I I visited them and I noticed that what they're denying the word of God. I mean, because I was reading it day and night. I was just a baby, but I was reading it day and night. I was saying, look, I didn't stick in any of them because the reason I didn't stick in any of them was I could see they were not believing their own book, you know. So if a person does do that, go strictly to the book and find fellowship with people who believe the same and believe that you don't add to or take away from the Word of God, they would grow up very quickly and begin to walk in faith, and they would never have died of trusting in the arm of the flesh. Cursed is the man that trusts in men and maketh the flesh his arm. They would have known that's a curse. If they just read their Bible, it would have saved their life. They could have grown up in Jesus manifested 30, 60, and 100-fold. And they would be, some of them missed the kingdom. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Some of them were, of course, lost, but some of them that were so-called saved missed the kingdom because they weren't bearing the fruit of Christ. We know that the fruit of Christ is the Word of God manifested in us. So if they would have done that, if they would have made Him their everything in the beginning, they would still be alive today, ready to share with ulti- ultimately other people 
that pass it on to greater and greater groups of people of, uh, and have a great reward in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, they bought the lie. Uh, once saved, always saved for one. Ultimate reconciliation for another. All of these lies out there, they bought the lie that it's okay to stay like you are. They bought the lie, and they didn't grow up. And some of them don't even have 30-fold anymore. They've gone backwards. Even the uh, the brightness of the kingdom when they came into the kingdom, you know, and their interest at that time all got dull. But for one thing, they had read their Bible somewhat, and then they hear the preacher denying the Bible. And if you sit under somebody like that, that denies the word, it all passed away with the apostles, or that doesn't happen today, or no, that's just spiritual healing, or, you know, all these goofy things that people come up with who haven't read the Bible either, it it uh, poisons them. It poisons them so that they don't hold the Bible high, the word of God high. I was talking to the brethren even this morning in our meeting, and of course, people like the easy readers. Uh, and I, I said this, I said, um, well, you know, these are paraphrases. These are not Bibles. This is somebody that reads it, and then they tell you what that means. Well, I don't want to trust this guy to be able to tell me what it means. I want to look at the real translation, word-for-word word translation. A lot of these paraphrases, easy readers, are paraphrases. They're not Bibles. It's not the Word of God anymore. It's been diluted down. Okay? And um, I pointed out that in God's real true Bible, there's a numeric pattern going through it, which makes it perfect. That's the Word of God there, you see. Uh, the other is somebody's opinion about what is the Word of God. So I pointed out that, yep, we might like these easy readers, but if we will concentrate on the Word of God, the real Word of God, uh, which, by the way, has the numeric pattern in it, uh, and all creation has the same pattern. Uh, if people would concentrate on that, that is powerful in your life. Okay? It is powerful in your life. And uh, when we speak the Word of God, we are confessing Him before men. And He is the high priest of our confession who confesses us before the Father. He has to have something to offer before the Father. And it is our agreement with Him, not a paraphrase. Okay? So, uh, we were talking about, uh, well, what about this Greek and that Greek and the other Greek? Let me say something. There's a couple of branches of the Greek here. There is the Greek numeric New Testament, which is the correct Greek. And it comes off of the ancient manuscripts. And and you know where it comes off and where it is not in, in the ancient manuscripts. It can even correct 
some ancient manuscript. So that's the Word of God. And the, these paraphrases are not the Word of God. There's somebody's opinion about what the Word of God said. Okay? There's power in the Word of God. Am I saying King James only? Or No, King James, is, he was one of those on the left hand, by the way, uh, King James. Uh, they say it's the authorized version. Who was it authorized by God? No, it wasn't. It was authorized by him, and he was a pervert. Yeah. So what's he got a right to uh, authorize anything in the kingdom? None. Zilch. And they didn't have any numeric pattern because they didn't have the original ancient manuscripts. You know, like the when I first went to the Lord, I uh, I told the Lord because I saw that the preacher in the church I was in at that particular time was telling me um, or was uh, making corrections to the Word of God. And they all used the King James. All of them used the King James Version. Okay. And uh, when they made corrections in the Word of God, I would talk to people around me and I'd say, look, here, I've got this amplified version which came off the ancient manuscripts and he just corrected your King James and look in here, it's right in my Bible. So why do you say the King James only? I mean, look in my Bible here. It says the correct word. He corrected it, and it's in my Bible correct. So people around me, I shared it with, you know. But then I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I want the most accurate Bible. I don't want to have to correct the Bible. I want the most accurate Bible I can get. So on doing a little bit of research, I found that people talked about the accuracy of the ASV Bible. The American Standard Version Bible. So I um, I got one. Uh, I had the Amplified first. I went to that ultimately, and I got one. And then I found numerics and what Ivan Pennon said about the ASV Bible. He said it was head and shoulders above everything that's out there. So, and then I started looking into and studying the uh, numeric pattern in the words. And, of course, we, we have published a, uh, an update to Ivan Pannon's Numeric English New Testament um, by putting some of the words in there that you don't understand from Old English, uh, which are a better translation to us. And uh, a few of those, and uh, some notes that were not translated into the Bible uh, that he made at the time. So we updated it, and we did an excellent job. And uh, it's easy to read. Um, it, now they've got they've come out with a refreshed uh, ASV. Um, Michael was staying in touch with these people, with the refreshed ASV. Um, and it may he they made some corrections in the refreshed ASV that kind of put it back in the King James area. And uh, Michael pointed it out to them, you know, look. And they changed it as they were making this refreshed ASV, which they were taking away the suffixes like heareth, 
believeth, all these, you know, different um, additions to our English word. They were taking those out, which I'm totally in favor of. Um, but I'm not in favor of changing the word itself. So that's what they were doing. And so uh, Michael brought some corrections to them on that, and that was good. I did the same thing years ago with some people who were making a translation. And uh, I told them, uh, you know, the, the numeric is a foundational imperative if you're going to make a Bible. And I explained it to them. They said, oh, we just follow the Spirit. We just um, we just uh, believe that the Spirit is telling us what to put and what not to put. I said, well, that's fine, except for one thing, that the rest of us out here who are supposedly going to read your Bible have to trust that you hear from the Spirit. That's why God created numeric in everything he did and in the Bible, too so that we wouldn't have to guess if you knew what you're talking about. That's like a paraphrase, you know. You're trusting this guy. Okay, he's telling you what the Bible says here in his own words. You know, we don't trust that. I, I, I just believe the Bible loses its punch when people water it down because of their theology. That's what they were doing back then, and that's what they started doing with the RSV. And they did make the corrections know that Michael sent in, but did they catch the ones that Michael never saw? Okay, so there you go. So be careful when people start correcting, you know, the Bible and uh, think that they know because some of the people working on their team actually had more favor towards the King James than they did the ASV, which they said they respected above the other Bibles out there. Hmm. Okay. So, we it it it, it uh, behooves us to do research. It behooves us to look into numerics. When I found numerics, it was a complete confirmation of what the Lord told me was the most accurate translation. And I've known many preachers over the years, and I've looked on their bookshelves and seen ASVs there. A lot of these guys went to Bible, um, excuse me, <laughs> Baptist seminaries. And I said, oh, I see you have an ASV here, you know, on your shelf. He says, I've had them tell me things like, yeah, we, we, uh, we used those in seminary because it was so accurate, which is absolutely true. And the, the, uh, the ancient manuscripts are there. And they weren't in the King James, so it is absolutely true. So I asked him, I said, well, how come you preach out of and your people use the King James Version? They said, well, that's what they respect. That's what they want. Of course, all this anti-ASV stuff out there by people who didn't know anything about ancient manuscripts, uh, saying that King James is the only inspired word of God, why did they bring it in after the first year it was out there and have to revamp the whole thing because it was so terrible? Yeah. And how many times has it gone through this? At least, what, 10 or 11 times it's gone through a revamping. Nobody's got the King James Version anymore. And if you read the original, you'd know why. 
So this is stupid. Okay? So a, a little desire for truth will help people to overcome a lot of things that they got out of apostate translations, apostate teachers, and so on. If anybody is willing to do the will of the Father, he shall know of the teaching, God says. So what? Those that love the truth are going to find it. He will send a delusion to those who have not a love for the truth, that they might all be judged. Have you read? So so these people that just go along with the system and they ignore you when you point out verses and, oh, we don't believe that, we believe this, you know. Wait a minute. You, you're saying you don't believe the Word of God. You do believe what your preacher preaches. You have no love for the truth, right? It's killing people now. Massively killing people. Not having a love for the truth of the real inspired will of God. It's causing death. It's causing these people not to grow up in the knowledge of the Son of God and walk in His steps. Because let everyone who says that they abide in Him Walk as he walked. Now that's a that's a very elevated position. And that's exactly what the Lord wants us to have is this elevated position. Is he your everything? Well, notice. Because people have not sought truth, sought holiness, sought a biblical church instead desired to be in one of these apostate religious systems that have a former godliness but deny the power thereof from such turn away he commands so they're rebelling against the command of the Lord to stay in this thing that does not even believe in the full gospel and even the so-called full gospel churches, many of them don't believe in the full gospel. So you, you have to keep growing enough that you have to know when you get your eyes open that you should walk out of this thing and follow the Lord whithersoever he willeth. This is what the bride and the man-child are doing. They're not content to walk after man's command. They want the truth. The truth is the only thing that recreates Christ in us. He shall, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So, am I your everything? The Lord asks. Well... It's obviously very important at this time. We are running out of time. Let him be your everything. Seek him first. Even above, as I say, even above fellowshipping with other Christians. We all love to do that. But let me say that a, a lot of that is, you know, idle talk. A lot of that is not around Jesus Christ and what we can learn from one another you know, concerning Jesus Christ. 
He is the pattern son. Let everyone that says they abide in him. First of all, if you don't abide in him, you're not going to bear any fruit, according to what he said. And everybody that does abide in him walks as he walked. God made provision for this, and they don't know that. They don't know that God made provision for us to walk as he walked. They don't know that because, and they read right over it, and they're used to it. And if you point it out, you're crazy. (laughs) Yes, because you're not with the multitudes. Well, well, let's see. Let's see now. If we were following the multitudes, none of us would ever leave the Catholic Church. Hmm. And they're the most wrong. Let me say. So, we can't go by the multitudes. Let me say, the multitudes of God's people, when you read through the Bible, have always been wrong. (laughs) Can you imagine? The multitudes have always been wrong. It's the minority who are are faithful to the Lord, who bear the fruit of the Lord, and are hated, as we've already read to you today, right straight out of the Word. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you follow me, they're going to hate you. If you're not willing to be hated, and you're moved by relatives, friends, churches, leaders, whatever, you don't want to be the odd man out, right? You won't, you don't want to be on the outside looking in and you're willing to bend, right? So we have to repent. Uh, he has to be our all. Uh, the man-child is created in his image. Therefore, the only thing that does that, according to the parable of the sower, is um, the sperma of Jesus going into our hearts and recreating in us himself, right? The Word of God. Departing from the Word is what most people do. And it takes meditation because you can meditate on these things, these sayings of Jesus, these teachings of the disciples, and so on and so forth. And you can say, wow, that I see I'm doing this. I see I'm doing that. It does You can't just sloppily read it, you know, like church people do. Say they believe every, from cover to cover. Can can they have the gall to say that that they 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 believe it from cover to cover? They do. They say that, and you know it's a lie. <laughs> but they read like hogs, you know. They just swallow it whole without really meditating on it, finding out what it actually is saying. So there's people, you know some of them, they can quote the Bible front to back. I mean, they just have an awesome memory for the text, but they don't know what it's saying. And you really have to slow down and chew the could and even cough it back up and chew it again and just keep thinking and meditating on this until you get it right. Your flesh is contrary to the Word, so it's very easily uh, passed over. Because your flesh tends to be natural. It cleaves to the dirt, right? But the seed going into the dirt has to die out. That external covering on the seed, it has to die for the seed to come forth, right? 
So the earth is made to put to death our flesh. If we want to agree with the dirt around us, we're not going to change. The dirt is everywhere. It's in the churches. It's all through the world. It's the dirt. We don't agree with the dirt. The dirt puts us to death so that we can bear fruit. Right? So therefore, you have to be contrary to the dirt all around you. Amen? And if we're not willing to be different than the rest of the people because we have a spirit of rejection or fear of rejection, we don't want to be different than the world around us, and we're so impressed that we have to be like them and and compete with the Joneses, you know, then we're not going to come into the image of Jesus Christ. We're going to be different. We have to be peculiar people. Amen? Peculiar people. Peculiar to the world. Peculiar to the worldly church. We are called to be peculiar. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary. And so, if we walk as the Spirit, as Jesus, of course, the disciples, you know, they they wondered at some of the things Jesus said. You know, they they questioned him. They so on because because they were natural men coming into a supernatural revelation. So they questioned him, "How can these things be?" You know, Jesus had to explain it to them, which he does with disciples. He didn't do it with the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he slowed down and he um, taught the disciples, you know, because they were disciples, which is a learner and a follower. The Lord doesn't condemn us for wanting to learn or for being ignorant. He don't condemn us for that. He just condemns us if we don't seek out the truth in what is being said. And, And we have to consider that what is being said is right whether you understand it or not. It's still right. If you don't have that opinion, you're not going to grow in the Word. And like I said, you might come to the first thing God wants to deal with in your life, and you want to jump over that and go to something else. God says, nope, got to do this. This has got to do this right. This is a foundational thing. We don't build a house from the top down. It's from the bottom up. This is a foundational thing. Get it right. And so some people stumble around and they just don't want to give that part over to God. They want to go to the top of the building. It don't work that way. And God knows it, so they never mature. Overcomers. In the book of Revelation, they were called overcomers. Jesus pointed out, you have to be an overcomer. What is you? What are you overcoming? You're overcoming your flesh. You're overcoming what is natural. You're overcoming what the devil uses in you, which is your flesh, which is uh, degenerate, just like all of Adam's seed. You have to overcome your degenerate flesh and the demons that give you all kinds of reasoning why the flesh should be obeyed. You have to overcome that, and you have to overcome the higher spiritual realm of the devil and his demons. We have something to overcome. 
People that love the truth will not have a problem. People that want to justify themselves will have a problem. They will not grow. People that uh, have a fear of rejection of the people around them and uh, uh, bend to their wishes, their ways. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't be weak to the weak because this is how we have to win people who also have the same problem. And so we bend not in our own doctrine. Uh, we still believe the truth, but we meet them on a lower level, kind of like you do with a child, you know. You have to meet them on a lower level. But that doesn't make you a non-grown-up, right? <laughs> you have to stay a grown-up while you deal with children, okay? So, so God is teaching us, leading us, drawing us uh, to be willing to be different from the world. Finally and ultimately, you know, uh, the other day we talked about the demons that they're calling aliens. Listen, folks, the Alliance and all of the deep state are falling into this lie that these aliens are what they are, who they say they are. And um, even the good aliens as they call them, who are fighting the bad aliens. It's a good cop, bad cop routine thing to try to sucker you into this thing. Um, no, these are not aliens. These are demons. And they've come here to deceive us. And since they are demons, let me say, they hate you. It doesn't matter if they act friendly and think they've... The people think that they've come here to save us from ourselves and save us from nuclear power and save us. No, they're not here to save anybody. They gave the people the understanding of nuclear power. They're interested in the world falling out with one another and killing each other off completely. Yes, they're deceivers. All demons are. Um. On our program many years ago, uh, Colonel S.C., who I got to know, um, was in on the underground workings, the tunnels, and all of this, and how that they had aliens down there that they protected and um, and catered to and so on and so forth. And, of course, uh, Colonel S.C. was a Christian, so he knew that these were demons. He said, David, if they got close to a wall, they could walk right through it. I said, well, that's not flesh and blood, is it? No. Those are demons. And people rebuke them, and um, they act like demons because they know you have authority and power. He said when he was young and he went down there, he had to sign papers that he would not say the name of Jesus down there in the midst of these aliens. So what of aliens? Why are they afraid of... Uh, <laughs> the name of Jesus. And why do they disappear when you rebuke them in the name of Jesus? Huh? Huh? No. Those aren't aliens. Those are demons. And they're gaining more and more traction with the world. They're revealing themselves how that they came and seated us here in this world. You know, we are their product and all this stuff, you know. 
They're gaining more and more traction out there, and even Christians are buying into this stupidity. You know, what's going to happen when they gain the favor of mankind? I can tell you, they're going to turn against the Christians. Do you read the Bible? Do you see in the end time what happens? You're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. How is all nations going to come against the Christians? Because we're going to be considered the spoiler to their one world order, peace and security, so on and so forth. We are one standing in the way. We are the enemy. There's a strong delusion coming. So strong that even some of God's people will buy into it. And I shared the other night um, how that Garrett Crawford had a a dream that a flying saucer landed near him and a group of people. And uh, first of all, I want to say that um, I, I'm sure that the American government has flying saucers. And I'm sure that that technology was given to them by the demons. Okay. And they even crashed some plane, uh, some uh, flying saucers, so that they could uh, uh, reverse uh, engineer them and uh, make flying saucers. And they've got them. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind they've got them. And uh, so this flying saucer lands next to this group of people in his dream. And a woman, who's an alien woman, gets out and is walking by him. And everybody's awed, you know, at this woman coming out of the flying saucer. And he runs up to this woman and he puts his finger in her face and says, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and, um, well, guess what happened this time? She just kind of brushed him aside and kept on walking. Totally ignored him. And I'll tell you what the Lord told me. When God sends a delusion, you're not going to be able to stop it. And he sent the delusion for all of those that don't love the truth, according to his word. And you're not going to be able to stop it. It is meant to deceive those who do not love the truth. It will be effective. You won't be able to stop it. We don't need to be against anything God's doing, even when he's sending a delusion. Now, concerning us, we have authority over anybody that tries to deceive us or our fellow disciples, we have authority. So we can resist then. We can say, no, that's a demon. And Colonel S.C. said that they fed those demons, so-called aliens, children. They ate children. I don't know whether they were alive or dead, but they, he said they ate children. Well, that's very similar to what the deep state does because the deep state is totally perverse, demon-possessed people. They're Satanists. So why would they not fall in right after their father, right? Of course. So, and the deep state, of course, has been found to be eating children, sacrificing them for adrenochrome. And uh, I... I Appreciate so much the Alliance doing everything they can to destroy 
uh, all of their evil works and in so casting down Satan to the earth. He is losing his position because God's people are praying that they will be successful in doing this. And if you're not praying that, you should be doing spiritual warfare. These people are ignorant. Angels can enter, we can entertain angels at any moment and be totally unaware, as the scripture says, which means they can manifest in flesh in any way they want to manifest, and it's real flesh. So these demons are coming manifested in flesh, and the world doesn't know that. The Christians should know that because angels can manifest, even fallen angels can manifest in flesh however they want to, especially to deceive. So that's exactly what's going on out there. And we, we understand that the world and the new age, they don't have the Word of God in their hearts, so they're totally sucked into this thing. And they're all going to turn against us because these demons, the more uh, favor they gain because of their, you know, um, saving us from our enemies, you know, um, this thing is very strong. It's getting stronger and stronger. And uh, ignorant people who are so-called moral people are buying into it because they don't know what the Bible says. And neither do a lot of Christians know what the Bible says. So they wouldn't know that these things are capable, these demons are capable to appear as aliens or any other thing. We see, we have seen with our eyes that demons have authority to manipulate the physical realm in totally impossible ways, according to the flesh. They can make things appear right or wrong. But all of it is a test to us to see if we love the truth and if we're not going to depart from the truth. <clears throat> In other words, am I your everything? I'll read on. She, De Debbie said, My people, am I your everything? You say that I am. I say to you, my people, check your hearts. Search your hearts. You must diligently examine your hearts. Look deep and see those things that fill you. And ask yourselves if I am your everything. I am looking at your hearts. I see what is there. You must give those things over to me so that I will fill you and I will truly be your everything, your only desire. There is much to give up. You can do this. For as you desire to do this, my people, I will help you. You will not be on your own. I will help you, my people, for I desire to be your everything, your all in all. And Debbie said, after that, Chuck prayed and mentioning specific areas of the Lord um, that the Lord would help us to let go of and give over to him and that the Lord would strengthen us. And Chuck thanked him for his uh, great mercy towards us, asking him to continue extending his mercy to us. And others prayed also. And as they were praying, I heard the Lord repeating to me 
This is not just a tonight thing. So then, the Lord had one more word to say. It's not just a tonight thing. Amen? So, if God's ever said anything, He doesn't have to change His mind. It's it's still true. If He's ever rebuked you or charged you with anything and told you it was wrong, and you subtly went back to the same thing, you're just like that sow that had washed to turning in the to wallowing in the mire, and the dog eating his puke. Right? That's what you are. You're going. He already told you he did not like that. He still doesn't like it. <laughs> okay. And she went on to say, My people, this is not just a tonight thing. I am asking of you. This is an everyday thing you must do, always examining your hearts, for it is my desire to be completely and totally yours. Oh, glory be to God. Isn't that good? Oh, thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Well, God bless you, saints. Thank you so much for bearing with me. Father, we thank you that we will do this again by your grace and um, we'll continue to seek how it is to come into submission to you and be that bride that you want complete. Amen. Well, God bless you, saints. We'll do this again. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. On this nice fall day. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for putting us on the road, on that narrow and straight road, Lord, where you work in us to get rid of the, separate us from sin and the world, and Lord, uh, just getting rid of our flesh and making us that that uh, son of God that you want us to be. That's all of us. And I praise you for it, Father. I ask for your anointing upon us today to get this word out about the road to Zion. And Father, I praise you and I thank you for all that's accomplished today. Bless us today. Bless the people out there, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Well, let's start out in Psalms 125, verse 1. They that trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion. Now, that's an important aspect of what Zion is, who the people that live there are, because they trust in the Lord. These people who live up on Mount Zion are people of faith. Now, Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. But the people up on Zion are people of faith. They, verse 1, are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abideth forever. Listen to this, folks, what it says. It says, cannot be moved. The power of God that resides in those people who walk by faith and who abide in Zion cannot be moved. It abides forever. Praise be to God forevermore. One of the attributes here of the people that live in Zion 
is real clear, folks. It's faith. You know something else that's proven in a person who has faith? That's what the Bible says uh, in 1 John 3, 21 through 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And if our heart condemns us not, a person with faith is a person who's walking rightly before the Lord. They're walking by faith in God. They're not walking in the world, and they're not loving the world. And the very fact that you see here that faith is an attribute of Zion, holiness is also an attribute of Zion. Holiness is an attribute. Some people want to have faith, but they don't want to depart from their sin so they can have a bold conscience toward God. Faith and holiness, folks, go hand in hand. Holiness means set apart, separation from the world, separation from sin unto God. Now he goes on to say in Psalms 125 verse 2, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from this time forth and forevermore. Now, I want to tell you that one of the attributes of Zion is that they are protected by God. They're counted as precious by God and protected by God. It's a place of safety. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now, Zion, over in Micah chapter 4, is also called a tower. Uh, a tower. Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Yea, the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem a tower of the flock. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And if you run into the tower, into that strong tower, that's abiding in the name of the Lord, which is the nature, character, and authority. Because that's what the Hebrew word for name means. If you abide in the nature the character and the authority of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's a place of safety. That is the tower. It is Zion. You see, that faith also gives us this provision of safety in the Lord. And we're going to need to be in that strong tower in the days ahead, which is the safety and the provision of God. And it goes on to say in Psalms uh, 125 verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Well, the scepter of riches, of wickedness, this is a sign of authority. The authority of the wicked will not rest upon the righteous. The authority of the beast system that we've been talking about will not rest upon the righteous, those that are abiding in Zion. 
Then it says, that the righteous put not forth their hands unto iniquity. Verse 4, do good, O Lord, unto those that are good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2, righteousness delivers from death. Folks, it delivers from the dominion of the curses of the world. It delivers from the dominion of the wickedness of the beast kingdom over a person. Righteousness delivers us from death. There is a provision in God, praise God forevermore. Now let's look over into Psalms 15. And that's a good description of that also. Psalm 15 and 1. Lord, who shall sojourn in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh truth in his heart. Well, who is it that abides in Zion, in the Mount of Zion of God? It's those that walk uprightly and work righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. How many people are out there lying to themselves in their heart? How many people are justifying themselves before God in situations? How many of them are denying the word because they got their own self-will? And people who have their own selfish desires most of the time pervert the word of God so that they'll be all right. They'll be fine. Where do all these perverted doctrines come from? Well, I'll tell you, at the root of every one of them is somebody's self-will. Psalm 15 and 3 says this, He that slandereth not with his tongue nor does evil to his friend, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. These are the people who dwell in Zion. It's a place of holiness, a place of sanctification and separation from the world. Then over in Psalms 24 and 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands, and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto falsehood. Well, once again, we're back to the same thought here. Multitudes of God's people are lifting up their soul and falsehood for what they have as a perceived advantage. There is no advantage, obviously. The only advantage in the common days, especially during the tribulation, is going to be abiding in Zion. That's when the people are accepting the truth and not justifying themselves. Over in Psalms 24 and 4, he said, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into falsehood, and hath not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Well, praise be to God. We see that the righteousness spoken of in Psalms 125 is borne out in other places in the Word. The people that are going to abide in Zion are these righteous people. And we know that the first fruits that come to Zion are going to enter into that at the beginning of the tribulation period. And the reason for these first fruits coming to maturity at that time is because God is sovereign in all things. And he is to bring the rest of the crop to fruition in him. 
And another thing that Zion represents is the leadership of God's people. Psalm 78 had a, has a few words to say about that. We know that there was an old Zion, an old unregenerate Zion, a fallen away backslidden Zion that had to be destroyed. It was destroyed because of the apostasy of God's people and its leadership. But then uh, we know that this daughter of Zion is born again Zion, the born again man, the person who is walking in God's direction and under his true leadership, Psalm seventy-eight sixty-seven. 67. <clears throat> Moreover, he refused the tent of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. And Ephraim he's talking about here is the northern ten tribes that were in apostasy and they were worshiping the golden calf and on and on. He didn't choose them, 68, but chose the tribe of Judah the Mount Zion, which he loved. Well, obviously, Zion represented represented the place of the presence of God. These people were all around about the temple. They were, in a form, the temple of God. Psalm 78 and 69. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he hath established forever. Then verse 70, he chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. You know, when David began his ministry of ruling over the spiritual sheep, he'd already taken care of natural sheep uh, in a much smaller way. Remember the bear and the lion? In verse 71, from following the ewes that have their young, he brought him to be the shepherd of Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he was their shepherd according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Well, we know that the Lord is raising up a bunch of Davids around the world to rule in a spiritual Mount Zion. And they are, by God's grace, like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not found vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He said, I am what I am by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they are, by God's grace, by his gift, are drawing near unto God. They're overcoming trials, preparing to partake of what we see here in Psalms 125, partake of these benefits of the kingdom and walk in the attributes of Zion. They're coming on the scene like an Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 1 and 26. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, Thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, a faithful town. Well, who's he talking about here? Zion. If you go back to verse 21, he says, How is the faithful city become a harlot? And he speaks of old Zion there. She that was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. They, Those people became persecutors unregenerate Zion, apostate Zion, became the persecutors of God's people. 
and he brought destruction to them. But then he makes this promise that he's going to restore thy judges as at the first. Now, Zion will become a faithful town again. Born again Zion, the daughter of Zion. Verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed from with justice and her converts with righteousness. <clears throat> Amen. You know, it's an amazing thing what Jesus said to Peter. He said, when thou art converted, he'd been walking with him for three and a half years. Peter had Luke 22 and 32. When thou art converted, turn and strengthen thy brother. And that's King James Version. What, what conversion is he talking about? Is it the accepting Jesus as your personal Savior? Is it the immediate results you get when you get saved? No. Conversion here. It's talking about the whole ball of wax, so to speak. It's talking about the manifestation of Christ in you. And so he could say to Peter, even in those days, that he was going to fail, which he needed, because uh, Peter was real self-confident. But he also told, told Peter that when he was converted, to turn and strengthen the brethren. Well, obviously, God is continuing to work his conversion process in each one of us. Isaiah one twenty seven, Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her converts with righteousness. But the destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. 29. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you shall be confounded for the gardens that you have chosen. In other words, they're idolatries. The daughter of Zion, born again Zion, is going to represent this born again new leadership for the people of God in the days to come. Just like when Jesus came on the scene. Because Jesus was a sign of the man-child ministry in our days. When he came on the scene, a new leadership that God had prepared for the Son of God living in the Son of Man. Isaiah 7 says this is a sign or an omen of something to come. Folks, the Son of God is coming in His people, and they're coming in His first fruits manifested as the Son of God, manifested in the Son of Man. Emmanuel, God with us. He's coming in all of his righteous people who bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, glory be to God. That's something to shout about, ain't it? Not only are we going to get new leadership, we're going to get new hearts. We're going to get a new life in Christ. The Lord is going to manifest himself in his people like the world ain't never seen since Jesus Christ going to be walking, talking, Jesus is walking out there, except it's going to be all over the world. Everywhere the church is, God's going to raise up this Zion. Folks, the manifestation of salvation to the church is going to come out of Zion. Psalms 14 and 7 says, Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. The salvation of Israel is going to come out of Zion. These people who have been given the grace of God to manifest what we discovered Zion is. It's faith, folks. It's holiness. It's safety. 
is righteousness. And that's the true leadership of God who can give salvation away, but someone who already has it? Who can lead people through the wilderness, but somebody who has already been through the wilderness? That's what the Lord's doing right now. The Lord is preparing us for us a new leadership in the days to come. He's he's preparing not only the latter rain and the leadership, but the truth to go forth as light in the darkness. We're coming to a great time, folks, and a great move of the Lord Jesus Christ is fixed is right on the horizon. Let's look at Ezra chapter six and verse five. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple which is at Jerusalem. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon is a parable in the scriptures about backslidden religion, the bondage to the beast, and on and on. We, folks, are the gold and silver vessels of God as we mature and bear the fruit of Christ. Verse 5, And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought in unto Babylon, he restored, brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to its place, and thou shalt put them in the house of God. God's people, who are his vessels, were taken in bondage to Babylon. And that's a type of apostasy, a type of bondage to the flesh, and a, a type of love of the world, so to speak. They were taken to Babylon. But God says, let them be restored to the temple, the real temple. In other words, this is the stage of our life. We go astray as soon as we're born, the Bible says. And it's true. We, we, we begin to follow after religion. We begin to follow after carnal ideas about God. We've got a new spirit, but we've been taken captive. And as we pray, and as we seek the Lord, and as we humble ourselves through the Word of God, and as we grow up in the knowledge of the Word of God, as God gives us true leadership, we come out of Babylon we strike for Zion. We head towards that place of holiness and righteousness and faith and truth. Not only did Israel go through this cycle of losing their Zion, being taken captive to Babylon, and being restored to Zion, and rebuilding the new Jerusalem, but we're going to go through that too. First Corinthians 10 and 11 says, The things that happen unto them are for our admonition upon who the ends of the age is come. We're going to go through that same cycle that they did. You know why? It's to bring that gold and silver vessels back to Zion, to put it in the true temple of God. Ezra chapter 5 in verse 14 says this, And the gold and silver vessels also of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus, the king, take out of the temple of Babylon. You notice that now the command is different there. Before it was saying that this was going to happen. And now here's the command is going forth to bring it to pass. Folks, I think we're closer now. We're closer to this being a reality. 
The Lord is fixing to bring this to pass. He's about to bring forth the first fruits leadership for the people of God again. And it's all by His grace. The tower of the flock, folks, is talking, is spoken about in Micah. Let's look in Micah chapter 4. We see that multitudes of people from the nations, Gentiles, were coming to Zion, coming into the city of Zion. Folks, that's talking about the church. It's a parable about the church. Micah chapter 4 and verse 7. And I will make that which was lame a remnant, and that which was cast off, uh, cast far off. You see, it's, it's, it's grace. He was making a bunch of lame people strong here. Verse 7, And that which was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Yea, the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. He calls it the daughter of Zion in verse 10, Micah 4 and 10. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon, and there shalt thou be delivered there the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Well, folks, that tower of the flock, of course, represents a place of safety. Thebes is the place of safety for the people who fled from Abimelech and his people who were out there trying to destroy him. It was a place of safety. Zion was always a place of safety during the time of the beast, during the time of their attacks upon Israel. The people of God from the surrounding areas, man, they'd strike out for Zion because it was a tower of the flock. It was a place of safety. And folks, in these days, there's a great threat against the people of God. And it's going to be that the beast is out to conquer and make war on the people of God. Well, there is a place of safety. There is a place of holiness and a place of provision, and it's Mount Zion. God is going to bring multitudes of people back from apostasy, back from the place of bondage in Babylon, to his born-again city, the city of God that Paul spoke about that they would come to back in his day in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, let's look in Isaiah 35 for a moment. Isaiah 35 and 1, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad... Well, we know the wilderness from Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation 17 is the tribulation. It's called the wilderness. The woman went into the wilderness. Well, the woman there is the church, as you probably already know. Not natural Israel, but the church. The woman went into the wilderness and there uh, she was fed of the man-child and she was protected from the dragon also. Verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Great fruit is going to be born to God's people in the coming wilderness, folks. You know, there is a road to Zion, 
but the road goes through the wilderness. And it's a lot like when God's people were being delivered from the bondage in Egypt, right? They didn't jump right straight into the promised land. They had to go through the wilderness. And that's exactly what's about to happen to God's people. God's people are going to go through a wilderness experience, but they're headed towards Zion, praise God. They're headed for their capital city, the city of God, the city of the presence of God. And that's where we're all headed, right? Isaiah 35 and 1 says this, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are fearful, that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Well, obviously in the wilderness, that's exactly what God's people were going to to uh, need. They're going to need his salvation. They were going to need God's deliverance and his preservation, his healing, and all of those things. Now, I want, to, I want to show you something. Did you know that the word in the New Testament for salvation is translated that way in all those different forms? God is going to come, and he's promised this. He said, don't be of a fearful heart because he's going to save us. Isaiah 35 and 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Y'all remember that when the man-child ministry started in Jesus' day in the Gospels, that's exactly what happened. Jesus did something that was unheard of. I'm talking about the healing of blind eyes and the deaf ears becoming uh, open again. A bunch, abundantly. Not only is that going to be true physically speaking in the days when the man-child ministry starts to bring God's people back to Zion, but it's going to be spiritually so also. That ministry is going to restore spiritual eyesight and spiritual hearing to the people of God. Verse 6, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart again, both physical and spiritual. God's able to make his service stand, he says in Romans 14. I believe it too. Isaiah 35 and 6. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Folks, a desert is a place where there isn't a whole lot of provision. But God's wonderful provision is going to be there for all things. Verse 6, Streams in the desert, and the glowing sand shall become a pool. Folks, that's a mirage there. You see that? The word is mirage. Verse 7, And the glowing sand shall become a pool. Well, when you find a mirage, you find what you thought was a pool, right? Well, it's really just glowing sand. 
But what he's trying to tell us here is the opposite. If you perceive the mirage in the days ahead, it's an imagination, right? It's going to become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. That's how our imagination works anyway. It works with our faith. I see it out there. I don't care what you say it is. I see water. God's provision is going to be in his desert. And it's not a deception that people go out there and find themselves in need because what they thought was a benefit was not there. Instead, it's going to be just the other way around. The people are so afraid that they're going to be left in the desert to the mercy of the beast and the harlot and the great destruction in the tribulation. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. The opposite is going to happen. Those people that walk by faith that are on the road to Zion, the very opposite is going to happen. Isaiah 35 and verse 7, And the thirsty ground springs of water in the habitation of jackals where they lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. That's the highway of holiness. Well, folks, in the wilderness there is a way of holiness, a way of separation from the world, because that's what sanctification means. Holiness and sanctification, that's the same word, hagiosmos, and it means separation from the world. And you can imagine it if you're in the wilderness. It is separation from the world. But that's what this wilderness represents. It doesn't represent a physical desert somewhere. It represents God's people separating from Egypt, those things that they have trusted in, the flesh pots of Egypt. Separating from that, going forth to trust in God in a place where there's no natural preservation. There's no natural sustenance and there's no natural help. And as you know, God did a bunch of miracles for them out there. And that's where they learned to trust in God was in the wilderness. And again, that's what this wilderness is all about. That's why God is is bringing his people through there to go to Zion. You can't be holy without learning to live in a wilderness. That's living by faith in God. The righteous shall live from faith. And that's what we discovered. That's what Zion's all about. They that trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, folks. If a person has faith, there ain't nothing in the world the devil or the flesh can do to those folks. They're going to be overcomers. They're going to be conquerors, praise be to God. Isaiah 35 and 8. And a highway shall be there, and a way. You know, all through the book of Acts, it was called the way. To walk in the steps of Jesus was called the way. And that's what they called it. And it goes on, it says, And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for the redeemed, the wayfaring man. Yea, fools shall not err therein. Folks, God's going to separate the sheep from the goats, isn't he? This highway of holiness, some people are not going to be able to walk on it. They might start out with you, 
but they're not going to end with you. But while we're looking at this wayfaring men, let's look at Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 8. That says, The highways lay waste, the wayfaring man ceases. Literally it says, He hath broken the covenant, yet despised the cities, and regards not man. That word wayfaring here is a that's a traveler on a well traveled road. That's what it means. A traveler on a well traveled road. In other words, it's a broad road. That's a wide road of destruction. And what he's saying is that destruction is going to come to the broad road people. Not the narrow little road to Zion, not little narrow road of holiness, but the broad road, the wayfaring people road. The highway lies waste. The wayfaring man ceases. He, it says in the original, hath broken the covenant. Let me say it again. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man ceases. He hath broken the covenant. The people on the broad road are the people that are breaking the covenant. The eternal covenant that the Lord Jesus made and he never changed it. Even up to our day here, he never changed it. Nothing has passed away. Everything is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God forevermore. Multitudes of Christians are going to discover that they were lied to about the highway of holiness and about the covenant. The covenant breakers are on the broad road that leads unto death. Multitudes of them are not bearing the fruit of Jesus. Isaiah 33 and 14 says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized, seized the godless ones. Who among us can dwell with a devouring fire? In other words, this fiery trial. He's talking about the fiery trial we walk through. To walk with holy people and to walk on the road of holiness, that's impossible for men who want to walk in the flesh and that are wayfaring men on the broad road. They're fearful and unable to walk by faith. Then verse 14 again, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless ones. Who among us can dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? 15. He that walks uprightly. Well, here's who can do it right here. He that walks uprightly or righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppression. That shakes his hands from taking a bride. That stops his hearer from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He shall dwell on high. Folks, that's Mount Zion. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks or it's the stronghold of the rocks, a place of safety, right? His bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Sound like the people in Zion's going to be provided for, don't it? Because it's a place of safety and a place of God's provisions. And then verse 17, Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. Now, well, her, Mount Zion. They shall behold a land that reacheth afar. Thy heart shall muse on the terror. Folk, terror don't mean nothing to those people. 
Verse 18, thy heart shall muse on the terror. Where is he that counted? Where is he that weighed the tribute? Sounds like what they do in church, right? Where is he that counted the towers? Steeples. Verse 19, thou shalt not see the fierce people, a people of a deep speech that thou canst not comprehend of a strange tongue that thou canst not understand. Well, folks, these people are not going to face the armies of the enemies who attack. Well, let's go back over here to chapter 35 in Isaiah. Isaiah 35 and 8. The wayfaring men, yea, fools, shall not err therein. That's the highway of holiness right there. Number 9. No lion shall be there. Nor shall any ravenous beast go up their own. Well, ravenous beast here is talking about the beast of mankind. The beast that's making war on the saints. On the saints according to Revelation 17. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. There is a return out of bondage to the beast on the highway of holiness. Now, they hadn't arrived at Zion yet, but they're on the highway of holiness that goes to Zion, which goes through the wilderness and goes to Zion. Well, what's the Lord saying here? Well, that's a place of safety too. Not just Zion, but the highway of holiness is, is a refuge too. If we walk by faith, in the Lord, we don't know everything. We don't understand everything, but we're walking by faith, right? We're walking by faith in Him as our Savior, and we're not walking in the flesh. But we're trusting in the words of God. We're trusting in the promises of God. And what God is saying is there is a place of safety that goes through the wilderness and goes to Zion. Folks, Zion is that place of maturity, of perfection, of bearing the fruit of Jesus. Isaiah 35 and 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Praise God. A place of great joy. That's where Zion is. It's a place of perfect provision. A place where their bread will be given them and their waters will be sure. And people worry about God providing in the wilderness. Well, he's going to do it. He's going to provide that manna out of heaven. He's going to provide that water out of the rock. And he's going to do it in a miraculous way. But he's going to provide for his people. In chapter 36, in the original, because there wasn't any 36 then, and it went right on, he says, Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Well, here we are. We're connecting chapter 35 and 36 there with what we were talking about earlier. That That is... Here, here what we're talking about, that this particular beast conquered everything but Zion. God used this beast for an end time beast 
because they conquered everything but Zion. They weren't able to conquer Zion at any form or fashion. Now, they killed some of Judah. They killed multitudes of Samaria and the nations round about, but they weren't able to conquer Zion. So we're seeing a connection here. You seeing it? Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and took Judah. Not Zion, but Judah, the fortified cities of Judah. Isaiah 36 and 2, And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto king Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. He began to delineate his threat, folks, to the people of God in Zion. Because he said in verse 18, Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you. These people do this all the time. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Serphavim? And have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of these countries that have delivered their country out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Well, he was he was sitting there bad-mouthing them. One of you. We done killed, we done beat all these other people over here. We fixing to take you too. Well, <laughs> But God, right? The truth is, God is the true God of Mount Zion, of the daughter of Zion. He, folks, is the true God. He's their God, and they are his people. Then Isaiah 37 and 21. Here's Isaiah. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, whereas thou hast prayed to me, against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin daughter of Zion hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Folks, this is a holy people inhabited by a holy God, and they're laughing at the beast in the wilderness here. They're laughing because their God is the one true God. And it wasn't any kind of a problem for the beast to conquer the other people, was it? These people, but, live in the presence of God. And that's where we need to go to find our provision and our safety. Verse 31 of Isaiah 37 says this, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion they that shall escape. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And that's the people that will escape the war that's made on them by the beast in, in, in the future here. Isaiah 37, 36. And the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and four and five thousand, four score and five thousand. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And what God's saying to Hezekiah, 
that represented the man-child who went up on the third day into the house of the Lord? Isaiah 38 and 6. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Folks, we need the head of Zion, don't we? That place of God's holiness, faith, provision, and safety. Let's get up on Mount Zion, as the psalmist said. Let's go up to Zion. That's the city of our God. We want to be there, don't we? We need to be holy because there's no curse on holiness. God's raising up a beast to put the fear of the Lord in his people so that they'll run for safety in Zion. That's the tower of the flock. And when we go there, there's no curse upon the people. The curse is a motivator, folks. It's a motivator to bring us to God because we want out from under the curse, right? We want the blessings of God. And that's what Zion represents. That's what the road to Zion represents. The place of God's provision, blessing, and protection. The road is the road of faith. Zion is the place where faith is manifested. This, of course, is the provision of God. It's a place of safety. Folks, I'm, I'm exhorting you and encouraging you to run after the Lord with all your heart. So absolutely surrender everything to Him and run after Him with all your heart. And you'll be pro pro provided for, protected, healed, delivered, all of those great things that God has done in the past for His holy people. He'll do for us as well. Well, God bless you. We'll see you next time, God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust. Seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus.